Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. This is episode 37. It's our last episode of Life-Changing Connection. And this is the culmination of looking at a whole bunch of different scripture verses, a whole bunch of different things that speak to my heart. I think a whole bunch of different scripture verses that, that speak to the, to the heart of our congregation, the DNA of our congregation. And my desire is that as we've gone through this, as we've prayed for our congregation, that God would lead us into where he wants to take us. And I don't actually know where that is. I have a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts. I'm sure you have a lot of ideas and thoughts. And so I pray that God um, just gives us guidance, gives us wisdom. Whenever one person thinks about something for a long time, they get a great, you know, you know, they put a lot of thought into it like I do a lot. Um, but there's also a great benefit in having a lot of people share ideas and, and where we should go and what we should do and all that sort of thing. God made us very creative human beings for a reason. Because if we weren't creative, we wouldn't figure out, we wouldn't be able to subdue the earth, right? One of the Eden commands. We wouldn't be able to learn about how the world works and grow and and overcome so many obstacles and challenges that we have in the world. So, for example, this mRNA vaccine is a brand new technology. It's It's been on the drawing boards for a long time. I, I want to say 10 or 20 years. This idea that you could find the genome of a virus, you know, get the DNA of the virus, figure out what piece of the virus is the is like the leading edge of the virus. So on these coronaviruses, it's the spike protein. It's the spike protein that, that latches together with the cell. And then it helps the virus get into the cell. So if you can just uh, cut out what that spike protein looks like and inoculate people with the live portion of the DNA, which is what this mRNA vaccine technology is all based on, then perhaps the body will fight the spike protein. And if it fights the spike protein, then anything that the spike protein comes attached with it, that the body will fight against it. And so this pandemic has forced our hand and caused us to do clinical trials on this whole concept that's been around for a long time. And it turns out that the, that the concept works stellarly, stellar, it's stellar, that this whole idea about the mRNA vaccine helps protect people. It, it helps them not get sick as much. And when they do get sick, they apparently don't die. So this is a technology. The downside is, the only downside, well, it's a pretty big downside, is that we don't know what the long-term effects of this are. That it's it it's been in this the two of the vaccines well three if you count AstraZeneca are mRNA technology they've each of them had thirty thousand clinical people um, that showed the efficacy of this thing and now they've been distributing it to hundreds of millions of people across the world and we're getting the data back and and so we're finding out you know are there some people that are allergic to it and there are and then uh, are there long term effects that we don't even know about. Well, we don't know because they're long-term effects. They could show up. 
five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the road? I don't know. We just don't know the answer to that. The, the upside is, though, that, you know, when you get your flu shot every year, that flu shot has been, there's been a committee of people that have been working for the last two years to predict which strains of flu are going to populate the, world, the earth. And so they make a vaccine for those strains of flu that they think are going to be in existence. So if you get other strains of flu that they didn't plan on, you're not protected against them. And, and so uh, the, the, just because it takes time to formulate which flu vaccine and then um, which, uh, yeah, which flu vaccine and, and, um, and with the mRNA, the whole idea is that you can um, go from identifying the, the virus to production of a vaccine almost immediately, which means you cut down that time, you know, 18 months to two years down to six months. I mean, it, it really, truly is going to be an amazing technology. It might be, it might, we might get to the point where an, a virus is identified and within a month we're starting to vaccinate people, you know, particularly, you know, those who've been exposed and all that sort of thing. It, it, that we've learned a lot through this whole pandemic, um, how to get through it. And the church has learned a lot also. We've learned that um, we've had to move, we've had to shift, we've had to figure out new ways to do things, new creative ways to do things. But that's God created us that way. We are creative human beings. And so as that, coming out of this pandemic, the church is charged with how can we use every tool that we have in our toolbox to make loving disciples so that we might be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. That truly is what we will be doing coming out of the pandemic. And in order to do that, we need lots of good creative ideas. We need lots of leaders. We need lots of super leaders. We need lots of workers in the kingdom. We need people who are willing to share their faith, willing people who are willing to, to walk alongside people. Uh, it's just all of this stuff comes together um, after this pandemic, we have this incredible opportunity to really look at what we're doing as a church and really figure out what is the number one thing or the number two, you know, what are the main things that, that make us who we are and how do we pursue them with all of our heart, with all our soul and all our mind. And that's what we'll be doing. That's what we'll be doing. I, um, I, I've, I've shared this a little bit, but when the church uh, over the last hundred years, well, pretty much since the Protestant Reformation, the Protestant Reformation changed church a lot. The, that happened 500 years ago. Before Martin Luther, worship was always done in Latin. And even if you didn't understand Latin, uh, the church preached in Latin. The Bible scriptures were read in Latin. Everything was done in Latin. And it wasn't a problem because the priest or whoever was getting up on Sunday morning would stand up and he would read in Latin. He might, you know, explain it in a different language, but he would definitely, I mean, the whole worship service was done in a foreign language. And, um, but then, you know, as you lived your life, people, uh, you know, your priest or whatever would, you know, you do life together in the, in the language that you do life together. But when Martin Luther, he realized that that Latin was not the predominant language of the people. 
and that they were missing out on a huge opportunity to read the Bible in their own language, to understand, understand. I mean, remember the printer, the printing press had just come out. And so he said, listen, we can get a Bible to everybody, but it's not going to help them if the Bible is in Latin. We need to get the Bible in German. So he translated the whole entire Bible into German so that the people could start reading the Bible themselves. That was a massive, massive shift in the world. Prior to Luther, most people did not read the Bible. They didn't inwardly digest the Bible. Now, the Hebrews, you know, Jewish people could because they would learn Hebrew and they would learn, you know, they, the young men would go to, to synagogue. They would learn Hebrew. Then they would read in Hebrew. Then they'd go back to the house and they would explain what God says in Hebrew. I mean, so there, each household had a person that could understand the language, you know. They could go to the temple, listen to the words, and then come home and explain what, you know, what the Bible story was or whatever that thing. Um, but the opportunity to bring God's word into each home by having a Bible in their language that people could read, they could learn how to read, and, and it was a huge, massive shift in our society. Huge, massive shift. 500 years ago, this caused the Protestant Reformation. It caused a a release of the stranglehold that the Roman Catholic Church had on Western culture, and it was it just released people because because they were being it just released people into into learning at a whole different level. Well, now we have what I would call the Second Reformation going on, and what I mean by the Second Reformation is that we now have the internet. Now I know we've had the internet for you know a couple decades. But, but this pandemic has forced us to really understand the potential and the power of the internet and the potential of, and, and the dangers of the internet too, that we have the church coming out of the pandemic is going to look different than the church before the pandemic. And this, this idea, and why do I say that? Because we, we have these techniques. I know we've had them for a while, but they're everywhere now. People now know how to, with very few dollars invested, you can get anybody that can get a camera and a microphone and broadcast their thoughts, their feelings, what they feel about God onto the internet. And it won't be long before everybody's going to be doing things like that. And so the question for the church is, how do we cut through all the noise and find the good stuff that really truly is helpful for people growing in their faith. There are a lot of people that are going to put out information on the internet that is neither commanded in scripture nor forbidden in scripture. If it's not commanded or forbidden in scripture, then it is the fancy term for it, the fancy Latin term for it is called adiaphora. And if it's, if it's not commanded in Scripture and if it's not forbidden in Scripture, then it is fair game, right? Like, if it's commanded in Scripture, we have to do it. Like, if God says, love one another, we have to do that. If God says, love your neighbor as yourself, we have to do that. If God says uh, that the early church came together for fellowship, breaking of bread, uh, apostles' teaching, and prayer— and then they pooled their resources to, you know, love the world around them. That's a good indication of what churches should do. So there's a lot of stuff 
that scripture indicates these are things you should do. And there's also things in scripture says you can't do, like you thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, you know, uh, commit adultery, thou shalt not honor, you know, you shall honor your father and mother. All these scriptures that says that are commands, we have to do those, right? Love one another, we have to do that. But everything else is fair game. Well, with the internet, you're going to have a plethora of people that are going to scour scripture, good, you know, wonderful, God-fearing Christian people. They're going to scour scripture and they're going to, they're going to say these things that we hold so sacred aren't necessarily commanded or forbidden in scripture. And so you can hold on to those things if you want to, but you don't have to. And it is not, um, it, it, it will change, it will change how the church operates. Because for so long, the church has operated on kind of, this is the way we've always done it, and so we'll continue to do it always this way. And what's going to happen because of the internet is that over time, and I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, but it, you know, over the next 20 to 50 years, I'm going to say, uh, you're going to find churches understanding, you know, what things they do that are just traditional, that we do them because we traditionally do them, but what things we absolutely have to do. And then you're also going to be having, you're going to have churches that are going to look at, are we accomplishing the goal for which God has given us? And if the answer is yes, then by all means, keep doing what you're doing. But if the answer is no, then the church must, it has to cut through all the noise and figure out what are the things that are either commanded or forbidden scripture and how can we do those things to get to the end game. And the end game for us is making loving disciples, right? That's the end game for us. Jesus says, go make disciples. Discipleship truly is the end game of the church. And if it if everything we do supports discipleship, that's great. But if we have things that aren't supporting discipleship, then we have to relook at them and say, is that the best use of our time, talent, and resources to do these things? And uh, it's we're just, I look at it this way. When the, when the printing press came out and, and the Reformation happened, there, were, there was the 90-year war in Europe. I mean, there truly was death and destruction. People don't like, the church didn't like the change. The people wanted the change. I mean, there's just a lot of turmoil that was happening and, and a lot of people died. And I don't know how many people of Europe died. It was a big deal though. I mean, it was, this this reformation was really a shakeup. <laughs> That's really what it was. It, it shook things up. And whenever you shake things up, people die. Well, I don't know if we're having people die, but we're having a shakeup in the church right now. The internet has caused the church to really shake itself up. The pandemic has caused the church to shake itself up. And the the thing we can praise God about is that nobody is dying. I mean, that is truly a wonderful, I mean, well, the pandemic, people are dying, but the shakeup of the church with the internet, nobody's dying. But it's it is difficult. Because people don't want change, they don't like change, they're not sure about change, they're not sure if the change is biblical, they're, they're not sure if it's commanded or forbidden in scripture because, because they just have never been taught and we've never even looked at some of those questions. And some of the things that in our society, oh my goodness, our society is changing so rapidly, so rapidly, that it seems like every year the church is faced with something we've never been faced with before. 
Like when society is not rapidly changing, the church has time to contemplate and think and say, what does God really think about these things? And then the church can give a response, right? But today, it's like all over the place. We have churches. We have things in society that are coming at us so quickly that the church doesn't have time to, to formulate an opinion on it. And then so people start formulating their own opinion on it. And then you get people in a church, you know, that might have one opinion and people in another opinion and they're fighting against each other and nobody knows what the truth is. And and this is only going to get worse and worse and worse. I've, I've told the confirmation people that um, for our kids, it it's no longer enough just to say, this is what scripture says. We have to be able to provide our kids tools so that they can know what to do when a new thing comes along, how they should think about it, what they should do about it, and just give them the tools so that they can do their own research and come to a godly conclusion on these things. Because I can't tell a kid who's in junior high today what problems they're going to face when they get into high school because they haven't even appeared yet, and but they are going to appear. And they are going to have to learn how to stay grounded in their faith. We all have to learn how to stay grounded in our faith because the world is changing dramatically. And the church has to follow along with those changes. We have to step up our game to figure out what are really the issues that our society is struggling with and why and how can we you know, help people grow in their faith in ways that we've never had to do before. I mean, in a way, it's a challenging and an exciting time because we get to be in this moment of history where people, I honestly think people coming out of this pandemic are going to flock back to church. People flocked back to church after 9-11. And people at the Great Depression, after the Great Depression, people flocked back to church also after the Great Depression. They wanted answers. They wanted spiritual answers. Why did God allow this to happen? Does God still love me? You know, what, what is my calling in life? All these things don't go away. And when after a great, you know, shake-up society, people start to go and look for answers like that. And so people are going to be looking for answers. The question is, are they going to come to a church building to find those answers? Or are they going to be surfing the internet sometime trying to find answers? Or are they going to be following certain people to find answers? And, and those are the big questions that every church has to deal with. Because we also have to understand that, that people, we know that Christians have to be in fellowship with other Christians. We know that's true. But how does that fellowship happen? And where does that fellowship happen? And when does that fellowship happen? We already looked that in the in Acts 2, right? They get, gathered together for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. When did they do that? They did it every day. And when they did come together for communion, they worked all day, you know, Sunday, because they worked seven days a week. They worked all day Sunday, and then they came together for an evening agape meal, and they shared this time together. I mean, they it, it and... So that information is known and that information is out there. And so there are going to be people saying, how do we connect to God that fits in with my lifestyle? Because we don't live in a world anymore where Sunday is sacred. A hundred years ago, Sunday was sacred, right? Sunday, everybody went to church on Sunday. It was a sacred time. You didn't even work on Sunday. When Jennifer and I first got married, we lived in England and 
at that time in England, you could not go to the supermarket on Sunday because it was closed. Matter of fact, you couldn't hardly do anything on a Sunday because almost all businesses were closed. It was, and in the United States, where we had come from, you could go shopping on Sunday at a supermarket. I mean, there's lots of things you could do on a Sunday. But it, and so it was really a stark reminder of how things change just in different cultures. Well, in our culture today, people work 24 7. There are people that have to get up on Sunday morning and they go do their job and it's expected of them and our society really says that's okay. And there are parents that only get Saturday and Sunday with their kids. And so they're looking at ways, you know, to spend those time together. And of course, I believe smart parents will go and take their kids to a worship service. But the society says, well, you know, our sports team, we can only meet on Saturday and Sunday. So our sports team is meeting on Sunday. How is that changing society? And are, is the church responding with different opportunities to be in fellowship with the kids at different times so that they're not getting stunted in their growth? The church has to figure that one out too. And, the, and I know that a lot of people say, well, if we could just go back to the way it was 100 years ago where everybody had Sunday off, then we would solve the problem. But we're not going back to that time. It's not going to happen. It's it, The church has to figure out how to accommodate the society around us and how to grow people in their faith in ways that we don't even know how we're going to do yet. Does that mean we're getting rid of Sunday worship? Absolutely not. But does it mean we're going to stream and provide that opportunity to people? Yeah, we'll probably do that for the rest of time. And we'll probably provide other worship services a different time in the week. And we'll provide other opportunities for people to do one of those four things. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer throughout the week so that we can accommodate the society around us. Because Jesus did not command exactly how we make loving disciples. He just told us to do it. And that is the charge of the church. That is the charge of the church. I'm excited about the future. I'm a little bit fearful about the future. Because I don't know how much of the old stuff has to be retooled and reconfigured and, and what that's going to look like. But my heart, is, my heart is at peace for a couple reasons. One is I know God's still in charge and I spend a lot of time with him. And he's told me, David, stay at peace. This is challenging time. The church is going through a major, major upheaval right now. And uh, you're in the middle of it. But I still love you. I still care for you. I still love my church. I still love my bride. Um, and, and we'll get through this. We, we will get through this and we'll come out of it even better than going into it and because people need Jesus. They, Jesus says, people need me. I'm the only answer to every single problem you're seeing out there. At its root, there's a spiritual component to it. And since there's a spiritual component to it, I am the only answer to that. And so, the question is how we to make all those pieces fit so that people who are hurting and lost and need Jesus in their life understand Jesus in a way that truly helps helps them, and the, and we will we will get to that. So um, I think uh, man, I had a whole bunch of things that I was going to talk about, but we're just going to have to leave it at there. So um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Jesus, lead us into the future. Lead us into um, ways that we can connect with the world around us and make that life-changing connection to you 
so that all the people of the world might hear your love for them and grow in their faith towards you. And that at the end, you will say to Christ Lutheran Vale Church, well done, good and faithful servant. My kingdom is larger and healthier because of the work that you did in Vale. Uh, this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.